Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I am so um, thrilled to bring you this episode. I sat down with Paola Antonelli, who is the Senior Curator of Design and Architecture at MoMA. Um, she is a one-of-a-kind in and of herself because she is navigating uh, a world that's mainly, 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 mainly dominated by women, but not in senior positions. And so we spoke about what it's like to be a curator in the museum world, which has so many uh, excellent um, people in it, male or female, um, not trans, because it is even more antiquated in those terms. And then when you get to diversity, it's so fascinating because on a global level, um, these places can be quite diverse, but then when you look at the issues closer to home, not so much. And of course, class and wealth and all of those things uh, enter into the museum world, um, as they do all our worlds. But I think it's it's a particular spot where um, Paola gives me so much hope and joy, and her work is so fresh and funny and unique, and MoMA is lucky to have her, and we are lucky to have her as a result. You can go to MoMA's for free on Fridays, uh, Friday evenings, and um, I have a lifetime membership, um, and it is in major part because of the unbelievable exhibits that um, people like Paola give Enjoy our interview. It was recorded live at Joe's Pub. Um, now, before you became big in the art world, I'm just, I'm really dying to hear about the fact that you were in, um, you a singer. In where? That you were singing, that you had a singing. Oh, yeah, a singer, yes. I, oh, yeah, I know. That's <laughs> embarrassing. I gave you the picture, but it's really embarrassing. Yeah, that was, I was 14 in Italy, and I was participating in a competition. I enrolled in the competition because my boyfriend at that time had enrolled in, and I wanted to one-up him. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I enrolled too, and I was singing. It, that was my, my mom's Indian skirt that I had put up over my breasts. <laughs> then I had made a glitter star <laughs> over my decolletage, and I was singing Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights. Excuse yes. me. Excuse me, yes. Love this. You don't want to sing maybe a note or... Uh, a Wuthering Heights? Yeah. He's clear. It's me, oh, Kathy, I've come home. You don't remember You guys give her a warm round of applause, not a train singer coming out it of your It got better then. When I became a punk, it was better. So when, when were you a punk? I was a punk, um, probably it was like late 70s, but Italian punk. You know, Italians always do things kind of a little bit sweetened, right? So I, would, I didn't have like, you know... Uh, uh, pins in my in my cheeks. I was like more Adam Ant kind of punk, you know. So it's the new wavy, so white laces and and kind of dark eyes. I'm just picturing it. like a Tim Burton character right now. No, yeah, kind <laughs> of, kind of. But that that was also the time that I was working as a teenager, and after school I was working in a fashion PR office. So it was all kind of contaminated. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's not the hardcore punk. I, I as a non-hardcore punk who always takes credit when. I can yes I totally understand um, yeah my mom would like drop me off for my like ska shows yeah um, so I really want to you've been a curator for decades 
Uh, you're critically acclaimed for it. However, everyone is a curator these days. They can be on Facebook, Tumblr. I found a store called Curator, and they just sell socks. Um, the more, the merrier. Kanye West, uh, he considers himself a curator. He, he has, totally is. Is this Versace? Absolutely. Is the Versace sofa so hood? Yeah, to hood. might need to cover it in plastic. Yeah, that's him? Yes. Well, he is. I, I think it's very funny. Is this Versace wow. soap to hood? To hood. To hood. Covered in plastic. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking it to the hood. What is it? Um, so, what what does it mean to be a curator? Well, it, it's funny because um, we've been talking about it for a really long time. But I think that being a curator means having the trust of people that follow you and believe in you when you take care of a lot of chaos and show them the way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, being a curator, really, at, at some point I was uh, making this whole theory of curators being like geishas, you know? So we just, like, arrange things beautifully and people listen to us and we, you know, we wait, you know, we spend the whole time perfecting the arts and there are powerful and rich people that soon after us, but we're kept. Um, <laughs> speaking of being a kept woman, um, you have said that you, there was no way you could rise to be such a high-level curator in Italy. Oh, no way. Impossible. Absolutely. Why? I, I mean, I'm astonished at MoMA at the fact that there's, I think, seven chief curators and there's only one woman. Yeah, so oh, what a woman. I yep. was... Ar- <laughs> not me. Not me. Yes. Another woman. Um, no, that's the, hi- the highest level. But So I was already kind of like shocked that a, a modern art museum that's supposed to be showing subversive and progressive works is a little more traditional, some might say. Others might say antiquated. Um, so I was just curious, you know, what's the difference between Italy and here? The difference is one of form, because there is gender, um, there's still gender discrimination also here. It's just people are a little kinder about it. In Italy, it's really blatant. And also, there's, uh, it's not only gender, it's also they try to infantilize you a lot as a woman. You know, when you turn on TV in Italy, you really see women in absolute miniskirts with their tits out, even though they might be the most intelligent women. They have like PhDs up the wazoo and they have things to say. They still have to be that way to be on television. So it sounds blatant. like Fox News. Yeah, it's like blatant. minus it's the like PhDs. Fox, minus it's the women like the Fox, PhDs. but everywhere, all the time, even in Vatican TV. Seriously, have you seen the PR woman that was supposed to start the scandal at the Vatican? No. Oh my God! You go to the Italian news and see what she looked like. I'm not kidding. Wow. I didn't even know the Vatican's like got the news. Oh yeah, and they have PR offices too. That I knew, but I just didn't know that they like read newspapers or, yeah. You, you remember Berlusconi and the Ruby Rubacuari? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So she looked a little bit like Ruby Rubacuari and she was a PR for the Vatican. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I also wanted to go over the fact that you created the first website for MoMA. Oh, yes, I did. And it's funny. Last night I bumped into the woman. I was at, um, you know, IBM, the foundation. They were having this auction, this benefit auction. The woman that taught me HTML was there. So, yeah, it was 20 years ago. I wanted a website, and nobody really knew what a website was. At MoMA, MoMA. W- didn't even want to find but it. No, but no, I mean, they didn't know what it was. It's not that they didn't want to. So they said, what is it? And I'm like, you know, I need some money. Well, $300, okay? And I'm like, sure. And so I took this $300, and I used them for taxi rides to the School of Visual Arts, where Adrienne Wurzel, who was a PhD at that time, taught me HTML, and so I coded the site and it's uh, really horrible. Uh, you know, when it was like purple background, kind of marbleized. 
But you know what? It's still there. And it was the first way. It's, it, and MoMA didn't want to call it the MoMA website. So it, electronic project, it was called. Like, you know, <laughs> let's take some distance. But now it's part of the MoMA website. It's still there. And I'm very proud. As you should be. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, talking about Spock, the exhibition was called Mutant Materials in Contemporary Design. Um, they always have such long, long names. But this one is... Uh, one of my, uh, you have so many, but I, I don't want to say favorites, but I found this one fascinating. Oh, um, it came after um, Safe, which was another exhibit that you did. And I just wanted to look at a couple things from here. Um, you may want to talk about it a little bit that um, it was rejected as a exhibit. It was rejected as an exhibition. And you know, you were talking before, Jason was talking about rejection. Oh my God, I get a lot too. It's not only actors, also curators do. And sometimes, everyone. yeah, everyone. And sometimes when you have a rejection, you just like go home and cry. Other times you put the idea on the shelf. Other times you say, you know what? Screw it, I'm gonna do it anyway. And in this particular case, it was Jamer Hunt, the co-curator and myself, and we decided to do it anyway because it was, in our opinion, urgent. It was a whole exploration of the manifestations of violence in contemporary society using design objects as, uh, as a lens, as a, as a flashlight. So we decided to do something that did not require anybody's permission or anybody's money, which is a WordPress site. And we started a WordPress site, we called in a few favors, we had really great people help us writing essays about these objects. You and, know. and people sent in, submitted. Yeah, well, sometimes we sub they submitted, other times we solicited, but we got really great people. I mean, for instance, the flexicuffs, one of the objects are the plastic handcuffs, and the person that wrote it, I want to just give a New York shout out, was Judge Shira Scheindlin, you know, the judge that yes. declared stop and frisk unconstitutional. So we had, and then we had even people less famous than her, like, you know, or more famous than her. It didn't matter. We had child soldiers from Sierra Leone, um, activists from Benin, William Gibson, excuse me, and just wonderful people that helped us out and that made this a success. And it's part of the MoMA website, and it's a book that's been published by MoMA. So in a way, it happened. How do you deal with um, sparking a meaningful discussion without fetishizing? And, and I want to look um, at the 3D printer, for example. Mm -hmm. The 3D printed, yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, it's interesting because I have realized that sometimes there's risk, you know, fetishizing, there's risks of stereotyping. But when you make yourself vulnerable as a curator, as an actor, as a, a director, people are willing to cut you some slack and to go the extra mile to understand that you're not trying to aestheticize a stereotype. So in the case of the 3D printed gun, I'm sure you've all heard about it. It happened I think a we few, have a, oh, a... Wonderful. So a few years ago, Cody Wilson, who is a crypto anarchist from uh, Texas, decided to put online files so that anybody with a 3D printer could print the components to assemble a gun, like a really lethal gun using real you know, real uh, bullets. And I remember how shocked I was when I, when I heard about it because I'm used to thinking that design is such a benign force that 3D printing can only do good. Excuse me, it's a little silly, but that's what I thought. And then I realized that it can go the other way like anything else in nature. So the best way to show not fetishizing it is by just saying, hey, you know what? I was so dumb. I was shocked by it. 
but in reality, it's part of human nature to do things either ways. And you know, right, the deeper question is why do we choose to make these objects? To be well, more, in yeah. his case, Cody Wilson is a libertarian. He thinks that it's part of everybody's right to do anything and you know, exercise personal individual judgment. So when we had a real debate about the 3D printed gun, which we had an Oxford style debate, they work really well in museums, I gotta tell you. We, um, we had the debate not about gun control, but rather about open source. Should open source allow for everything to happen or should it be limited? And the wonderful thing is that as a counter to Cody, Cody is quite amazing. He can really speak. He can put a wall of philosophical concepts that are completely Cody's not here though, so we, oh, have, no, to, we have to hear from but, him. But yeah, and um, we put in front of him Rob Walker. You know Rob, right? He was the guy that was using, yes. the, that was writing, the, and he looks like the crypto anarchist himself. So it was wonderful because it was, um, it was this great conversation. So, And some of them, how much does function matter. I want to show the one for human trafficking, which was really creative. It was a way for, yeah. for people to get um, these phone numbers. But yeah. do they really use these? Do they know that this is to help them? Oh, yeah, abso absolutely. I mean, this was a uh, student's work, but it's been implemented. When women are trafficked, the only time they're left by themselves are, is it in the bathroom. So these students oh. decided to hide all sorts of emergency numbers and emergency instructions in sanitary pads. Mm. So, so that's the only time where they could find it. So it, it's really amazing. People don't know that this is design, you know, but it is. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Where do you draw the line, though, sometimes? I mean, it's particularly when you're looking at um, human tissue and, and um, I remember you had a, at one point, didn't you have like a mouse growing a... a um, yeah, a little, a little coat made of mouse stem cells, yeah. Like, is there a point where you're like, maybe someone else could use those stem cells? Like, there might be a mouse in need. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I really care for mouse, but no mouse was really hurt in that particular case because I know, I know that I know the scientists that did it. They're very, very careful about mice, and uh, no, but I don't. Where do I draw the line? Well, ethics is a part of design, as it should be a part of everything in life. So I am very careful about what I show. That particular mouse stem cell coat was actually meant to elicit a reaction and a big question in everybody's mind uh, because it was a, a coat, a little coat made of stem cells that but was growing. But then the sleeve came off. Yeah, what happened is that it was an exhibition. It was an exhibition at MoMA in 2008 called Design and the Elastic Mind. And uh, the, the, this little coat was in an incubator and it was growing. And then two weeks after it started, it started growing a little weird, you know, like a sleeve was off. And the scientists were back in Australia. So I asked them, what do I do? And they said, well, Paula, very simple. You just turn it off. I said, what do you mean turn it off? I said, well, you, it's an incubator. You just like switch it off. So and do I kill the coat? And they said, yeah, well, if you want to put it that way, it was never alive. No, it was alive. So I was starting, you know, thinking that I'm so pro-choice and pro-everything, I started not sleeping at night because I had to kill the little unborn coat. You know, and you just... And that's what, and that's what art or design does, you know? It's like, it's terrible. I felt like I was the governor of Texas. I was Texas. just worried it was going to, like... <laughs> I was worried it was going to end up on eBay, but this is much more serious. No, no, it ended, on, yeah. it ended, it ended in the press, because that's what I do. When yeah. I have trouble, I ask the press. To, to <laughs> so come we in. were getting phone calls at MoMA, you know, evangelicals saying, don't kill the coat. And then well, how do you determine, because you have so many brands, like how do you determine which ones get in and which ones don't? Like I remember you had Kikuman uh, soy sauce. 
Oh, but see, we never think of brands. Like the Kikoman soy sauce is an amazing object. It was designed by Kenji Ekwan. And, oh, you have it there? Great. So he designed it in 1963. And not only is it working perfectly, does it ever clog? Have you ever found one of these bottles Wait that ever clogs? No, it doesn't. Hold on a second. So yeah. that soy sauce that's in the exhibit, that is from that's been sitting there since 1963? No. no. See, in design, when an object is the same and it's done the same way, yeah. it's always an original. So we bought it. I mean, when Kenji Ekwan died uh, just a few months ago, we wanted to immediately put the Kikoman soy sauce out, but the real Japanese writing bottle was in Queens, so we went to the supermarket and bought a Kikoman soy sauce. And we I knew a there. fresh one. We put it there as a placeholder until the shuttle could come from Queens with the, with the actual you know, collection piece, okay. but nobody noticed. <laughs> and then how do you deal when like, it turns out that Kikoman, although they've now reformed, like they were, they were not, not doing great practices. What do they mean? They weren't great. Not they were not really? great to mice, actually. To mice? I didn't yeah. know. Sorry, I didn't do my yeah, due no, diligence. Yeah, no, but they're better now. They're better now. Okay, don't worry you. about it. Now they're okay. they're their mice get their own coats and they're made out of people. Whoa. Actually, I didn't know about this. <laughs> they're made out of human stem cells, so it's it all came didn't full circle. Didn't do my due diligence. Thank you. <laughs> um, but th that must happen inevitably, meaning that if you take something from Apple, which are these gorgeous computers, I mean, there's no basically anything you touch in our society is is going to have something in it if it's commercial. That's not pure. I know. At some point, we did an exhibition called Work Spheres that was about how people work. No, it wasn't the safe show. There were these students that had designed an ethical fallout detector. So it was supposed to be this thing that you would take to the supermarket, like a Geiger counter, that you would put next to a product and it would tell you if it was done ethically or not. Of course, it was speculative design, but I wish we could have that. I'm sure that there are projects and products in the, in the collection that are not completely kosher. And the ones that we know, we act on. The ones that we don't know, we don't. Well, I mean, even when we talk about the financing of anything from, from the arts, you know, onwards. Well, yeah, talk you know, about you're, art. Yeah. You're always going to be getting money from places that you don't um, necessarily agree with their products, right? I think that it's so hard to control everything, but the best thing that you can do is to educate people or to just like give good examples and yeah. hopefully they will be followed. Right? Like this award from Lucky Strike. Oh my, that was, <laughs> oh no, I gotta tell you the worst story about this. So it's Lucky Strike, you know, it's a Raymond Lowy Foundation, and I didn't even think about the fact that it was cigarettes. I was still even smoking at that time, but this award happened in Berlin. And if it was pot, I'd be fine with it. So yeah, just pot, so yeah. No. Skunk city. It's become skunk city. You smell skunk everywhere. Anyway, um, my husband, my husband was coming from New York on another flight, and uh, it was a Lufthansa flight. And apparently, there were only two black people on the flight: my husband and another guy. They ended up sitting next to each other, kind of suspicious of each other, and they didn't start. They didn't start talking. They didn't start talking. They're so weird sometimes. They didn't start talking until they were almost landing. And it turns out that this guy was one of the heads of the American Cancer Foundation and asked my husband, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going, my, my, my wife is getting the Lucky Strike Award. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty bad as ethical fallout goes. Um, I want to show one more, and I hope I can have you on the podcast, but you are so mischievous and funny and smart, and I loved the, um, the menstruation. The menstruation machine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you have it here? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Let me tell you what it is, because it almost ruined my career, but I still love it. 
So it's a contraption to uh, allow men and anybody else who is not menstruating to feel what it means to have a real menstruation. So you see there, Hiromi Ozaki is the artist and she's also kind of demonstrating with, and she pretends she is Takashi who's a guy but she is actually a woman. It doesn't matter, she's wearing it. It's almost like a chastity belt. It gives you cramps so the electrodes come down on your abdomen. And you can put this on any male. Yeah, any male who's willing. Yeah, well, and you also have you have the whole spiel. Yeah, it's they great. They have them Brookstones now. Yeah, <laughs> so it's good gift gift giving season. Right, they were choosing between they were going to do yeah. the mouse coat, but then they couldn't get that one, so they got this Christmas one pitch. Yes. Um, I want to thank you so so much. I got you a a book on aviation because I know Elmo? you love. What about Elmo? Oh no, you don't get Elmo. I'm sorry, you don't have. You know, everyone gets a different thing. I'm sorry about that. But you do get um, tequila, first of all. Because <laughs> you. I figured you read enough. <laughs> you know me. Yes. We so met, I figured we you, met at a bar, and I was having shots of tequila. It's the only non. It's the only non-depressant, guys. I got you a new book that's coming out from Knopf on. Um, Flying, because oh I know God, how much wonderful. you love flying. Actually, Jason Biggs loves yeah, flying too. I even have a little necklace with a 747. And some fun design stuff from Aww, factory as well. Great. Um, I, Paola, Ooh, Warhol. You, you really, I know, um, I know you get told great. this a lot, but I hope you know how incredible your work is. It's so accessible. Well, likewise and likewise to you. You really um, change people's lives. So thank, thank you very, you. very much. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Isn't Paolo magnificent? Hey, just such a such a treat. And if you didn't go to MoMA before, now you will. You can also check out Museum and Violence online. Um, they have an excellent website. Um, and to see all these people who contributed, um, whether they're very famous or not at all, um, that was the beauty of it because it's just so hard to break in as an artist, um, as so many of you know. And um, instead of telling you guys things you know, what I will tell you is that we have an exciting lineup uh, coming up for more live tapings uh, in 2016. So I hope to see you there. They are monthly. Go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more. And you can also go to at Katie Lazarus um, to follow me on Twitter or go to our Facebook page, EOTM's um, Facebook page, um, to find out the latest and you can get on the mailing list and, and all of those other exciting things. I, honestly, they're pretty good things. Pretty good. Pretty good is not bad. Okay, take care. It's better than not bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You're pretty good. This interview is more than pretty good. I'm not going to lie. She's just magnificent. It's not that I don't think you're magnificent, too. I do. I, I like to. I One day, when we meet, I'm, I'm going to bet that I feel the same way about you. <laughs> <laughs>